So I've got Pastor Dean and Sarah with me today. Uh, Dean, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So uh, let me tell you a little backstory here, uh, and then I'll let you kind of talk about uh, who you are and where you're at, what you do. Um, but here's how I met you, kind of. <laughs> Not really met, but uh, my so my pastor's going through the Book of Romans in a sermon series, and he's got a quote from a guy named Dean and Sarah uh, from the book Unsaved Christian. Now the, now, the title alone got my attention. The Unsaved Christian doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but man, I'll pick this, I picked this book up then, and it just struck a chord in me. So that's why I've invited you here. I'm so glad that you're here. Awesome. No, thank um, he, he talked about a story that, that you shared in your book uh, when you were in a parking lot leaving, was it seminary? Yeah, seminary. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to that in just a second, but tell us who you are, what you do, a little bit about your family and your yeah. ministry. My name's Dean. Uh, my last name's in Sarah, and I am the pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, which is my hometown, which is neat to have the opportunity to be a pastor where I grew up. Um, yeah. My wife and I have been married for uh, 17 years, and we have three kids ages 14 through 6. And uh, I have a real, truly do have a passion to reach um, what, what I call unsaved Christians, which others call cultural Christians. And it's really kind yeah. of a heartbeat of my ministry uh, and in terms, not just me, but in terms of the local church uh, where the Lord lets me lead with others uh, to really see the gospel go forward to people who think they're Christians and they're not. That right there is full of uh, conversation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> people who think they're Christians, but are not Define for me. You use the term cultural Christianity. Define mm -hmm. that for me. Well, it's like I'm being so judgmental, Mike, when I say that, right? And, that, and it comes yeah, out, right. oh, totally. And I, I, I fully own the fact that it sounds that way, but it's yeah. really not because it's really a, a, a biblical category. A conversation I was having in that parking lot was real simple. My uh, buddy was leaving seminary after we got done with our classes and our, our program. I was going to go pastor in, in Northern California. I was moving to Tallahassee, Florida, which even though it's in the state of Florida, it's only about 10 miles from the Georgia line. Uh, right. So major what you would call Bible Belt influence here. And I felt really kind of insecure about going back to the Bible Belt. There's churches everywhere in Tallahassee. I mean, everywhere. And he was going to this really tough area, a very secular area without a lot of gospel preaching churches. So I was just trying to like encourage him, let him know how much I admired him. And also at the same time, I was probably trying to make myself feel better by saying spiritual things to him as I felt a little insecure. And he cut me off and told me I was crazy, that where I was going was more difficult than where he was going. And I said, what the heck are you talking about? And he said, well, I'm going to Northern California. There's no confusion over who's a Christian and who's not. Either you follow Jesus or you don't. There's a clear right. starting point of unbelief. Where you're going, everyone thinks they're fine. It's almost like they have to get lost in order to get saved. And I was like, I paused for a minute. I was like, wait, that's my own story. You know, I, I was raised in a non-gospel mainline, a non-gospel preaching mainline Protestant church where I was, I knew some Bible stories, was told to be a good person, told to be like Jesus. I never had anybody look me in the eye and tell me I was a sinner who needed to be saved, needed yeah. to repent of my sins. So really, the hope of Jesus Christ is never a reality in my life because I didn't think I needed it. Yeah. Jesus is more an example or a imaginary friend or a good feeling or a moral compass, something along those lines. But uh, who's never presented to me as the one who actually died in my place for my sins. So by unsaved Christian, a lot of people would claim to be Christians across this country. And by that, their answer, if you ask them, why are you a Christian? would have nothing to do with what the Bible would constitute as saving faith. They would basically tell you that they're not an they believe in God. They're kind of a generic theist. You know, they're not an atheist. 
or they're a good person, or they come from a Christian family, uh, their answer would have really nothing to do with Christ. So while I don't think that I'm the authority on who's a Christian and who's not, and no one else is but the Lord, uh, the scriptures clearly are the authority on that. And the Bible definitely gives the category of people Jesus talked to, especially in Matthew chapter 7, of people who thought they were right with God, but they actually weren't, because their reasoning for believing so had nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that whole concept just kind of blew my mind. My history, I was raised, I mean, first first Sunday I could go to church. I did, I'm sure. My parents took me. Uh, I was raised in the church. I was saved in a, uh, a Baptist church out in a youth camp. And um, I, I knew the Lord. I understood that he died for me. But as I looked around, I started getting, you know, this was, this was at a young age. I started getting people saying, well, you're just kind of a Jesus freak. You're just kind of a, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And you mentioned that in your book, too. Now, here's the thing that that I, I think right now people that are listening are going, okay, they're either they're either going, wow, yeah, that makes sense. Or, wow, I'm offended by that. Or, wow, where do I stand? You know? Um, you also had a story. I'm, I'm a big Cincinnati Reds fan. I'm in Ohio. All right. Go and right. and you, you had a story that you went to a Reds game while you were in Cincinnati. And yeah. this is another great example of what we're talking about here. So if you could recall that story for us, you were there for, uh, if I remember right, it was a civic religion uh, speech that you were given or talk that you were giving somewhere. And so you went to a Reds game and uh, share that story with us, because yeah, I think so, that will help people to understand too, where we're coming from. Yeah. I'm a huge baseball guy. And so any chance I get to go to a major league stadium, I'm going, you no know, matter who's playing anywhere, no offense to the Reds, but I'm not a Reds fan, but I, you know, love going <laughs> to the great American ballpark to see the Reds play. That's right. And it was great. But you know, there's a home run like in the third inning and there was a decent ovation for that. But the loudest part of the game was during the seventh inning. And ever since September 11, 2001, on every Sunday for Major League Baseball games, they sing God Bless America. Right. The Yankees do it every game, but everyone else does it on Sunday. So they bring everybody, all the players come out. I mean, people were singing God Bless America at the top of their lungs. And then it was like this huge ovation. It was the loudest ovation of the game when that song was over. Not that's not the Star Single Banner but an actual song asking God to bless America. I'm looking around going, is everybody in Cincinnati a Christian? <laughs> and the denomination I'm a part of, we plant churches all across the country. It's our network of churches working together. And we strategically choose the 32 most like unchurched cities in America to plant churches. And Cincinnati is one of those cities. So we're going, are we wasting our money sending church planters here to Cincinnati? Because <laughs> apparently everybody's already saved. <laughs> here they are singing to God. And then I went, wait a second. Who's this God they're singing to? And who's the God they're asking to bless America? Is it the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know, is it Yahweh as God reveals himself to be? Is it the great I am? And the answer is not for the high majority of people there. It's this kind of generic, theistic, good luck charm, moral compass, glorified Santa uh, grandpa upstairs kind of figure that we call God in our country that really is not the God of the scriptures at all. And here's why that's, why that's problematic. I don't get to manufacture God because God has actually revealed himself to us in the scriptures. He has told us who he is. We're not supposed to be mysterious about who is God. And we don't know anything about, we don't know everything about him or even close to everything about him, but we know who he is and who he's revealed himself to be. And he's not this generic seventh inning stretch, good luck charm God. 
Uh, he's the God that has spoken in the past, as Hebrews 1 says, by the prophets and by the law and by the Psalms. And these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So it's an eye-opening experience for me of what civic religion actually looks like. It's all about lowercase g God rather than the God of the Bible. I think that's a perfect example. That and, and what your buddy said in the parking lot is that you're going to a tough area. Well, if there's a church on every corner, it's hard to understand that. I'm in, I'm in Ohio. It's kind of the same way here. You know, you, there are churches all over the city to choose from. And, 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 and I think uh, there, there was a, I don't know if this was in your book or not. I wrote this down about the nuns on the rise. And we're not talking about N-U-Ns. We're talking about N-O-N-E-S. And it was a Pew Research uh, poll, October 9, 2012, that said between 2007 and 2014, the group of people who self-identified as having no religious affiliation jumped from 16.1% to 22.8%. And I think we're seeing that more and more. But I also think that if I walk down the streets of my town, it's probably same for you, true for you, and ask them if they were Christians, most of them would say yes. Oh, the high majority in almost every city in America. You know, there'd be some yeah. isolated corners of the country where that wouldn't be true. Uh, but for most people that are listening to this in most places, if you walk to a restaurant and went table to table and said, are you a Christian? They'd be like, oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, we are. And, and by that, most of those people really mean that they're just not atheists or, or, or they're not Jewish or they're not Muslim or another world religion. If that, that's really what people mean by being a Christian nowadays. They're not Jewish, they're not Muslim, they're not atheists. Uh, so basically they're generic yeah. theists who see themselves as good people and somehow in America, we have declared that to be a Christian when the Bible doesn't recognize that at all. You mentioned, you know, that you're not a judge. Nope. You're not the judge of who's a Christian and who's a cultural Christian. Yep. I, I wish everybody could read your book because I don't want to, I don't want to pull everything out of there. I want everybody to read it. And, and this is, by the way, if you're watching on video, this is the book here, Unsaved Christian uh, by Dean and Sarah. And I, I also want to talk about your your newest book, which is a smaller one. I've got that right here too. I haven't read this yet, but I'm, I'm ready to, without a doubt, how to know for certain that you're good with God. Yeah. And I think this is a great follow-up to Unsafe Christian because I think there are people that will scratch their head and go, man, I don't know. I thought I was a Christian. And so if they're in that boat right now, how do we know where we stand? I mean, what, how do you define, based on what you read in Scripture, is a true Christian versus a cultural Christian? I think that's the big question. You know, when I read the scriptures, I mean, God wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be confused about where we stand with him. Like, like he actually yeah. wants us to know these things. And I think that's really critical for us to know. And again, my purpose in my books is not to try to talk someone out of thinking they're a Christian. It's to show them what being well, sure. a Christian really actually is, according to the scriptures. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that uh, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name? And he'll tell them, I barely, I, he goes, I didn't even know you. Away from me, you, you workers of lawlessness, you evildoers, some translations say. So what's happening there? Well, why is Jesus being so harsh? Well, they're pointing to themselves for their own righteousness, the things they have done, rather than the things that Christ has done. So a Christian is someone who, first and foremost, does not depend on their own righteousness to get them to heaven. Uh, they understand that in their theism, that, that their belief in God, uh, that they have sinned against this God, that he's not a generic God, he's a holy God, and that sin must be punished. Uh, so that, but God, thankfully, 
in his grace rather than punish us as our sins deserve. Uh, the entire storyline of the Bible lines up to, to welcome and usher in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died in our place, took on a death that we deserve and rose from the grave three days later. Uh, so to being a Christian to me is really two things. It's belief and response. So what do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the gospel? And then how are you responding to that in terms of faith and repentance? So we have faith yeah. in Jesus Christ to be what we could never be, what we could never do, to be actually our savior. And then also we don't just have that as intellectual knowledge. It's a faith that leads to a response of us by God's grace turning from our sins to following Christ. So I would say faith and repentance. Those are the, so I actually have those things. And the reality is for well, the way we describe cultural Christianity, faith and repentance aren't even categories. They're not at all. It's just kind of a generic type faith. And here's what I think really important, Mike, is that people realize, realize that cultural Christianity, it's not a discipleship issue. These are not people who just kind of need to get more serious about their faith, get in their Bible more, get more connected right. to church. It's an evangelism issue. These people who actually yeah. don't know Jesus altogether, they don't need growth. They need the gospel, you know, and then yeah. and that's, that's the goal. So I'm just see that. And then in terms of without a doubt, God wants us without a doubt to know. And the way we know is, but we base all of our hope on his promises, not our doing. Yeah. I struggled with that growing up. I told you earlier that I grew up in, in a, a Christian home. Uh, we went to church all the time. We did all the right things. We were good people. Um, and there's that mentality, two things here. There's the mentality, you know, if you're a good person, you got to go to heaven because why would you, if you're doing good things, you treat people well, why would God send you to hell? We'll touch on that because that's an important question. But for me growing up, I knew I was a sinner. So I got into the whole thing of, um, as a young teen, if I messed up, I had to make it right with God. And I think both of those things are uh, there, there disconnects from what you just got through saying is that, you know, it's not about what here, and there's another thing that's in your book. I mean, you're right on track with what I, what I, uh, struggle with. Didn't we versus didn't he, yeah. you just talked about the scripture in Matthew that by the way, my pastor was, was reading that on the day that he mentioned your book. And he said, it's the scariest scriptures in the new Testament. Definitely, And it's true Yep, because all of a sudden, we're standing before God going, hey, didn't we go to church every Sunday? Didn't we help people? Didn't we give of ourselves? Didn't we give our offerings? And God's saying, I never knew you. So how do you resolve that? Because it's, it's a scary thing to think that I'm a good person. Why would God send me to hell? If he's a good God, why do I deserve hell? Well, if we think that our good works in any way, shape, or form get us to heaven, we're proclaiming that Jesus died for no reason. Galatians 2 very frankly says, if righteousness can be attained by keeping the law, then Christ died for nothing. So without even realizing it or meaning to, we have this big, huge sign up that says Jesus died for no reason if we think that we actually on our own. And that sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? Even to, even to say those words. Uh, that's what we're Absolutely. functionally saying. So here's what's going on there is we're making the wrong comparison. So when, it reminds me of the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. The Pharisee yeah. said, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. That was like kind of a big scope. Like I'm not, I'm not like, oh, there's so many bad people in the world. I'm glad I'm not like them. He goes, here's all the things that I do. I fast, I give, I pray. And then he gets specific. And he says, I thank you. I'm not like that 
tax collector over there. So a broad scope, I think I'm not like everybody else, and I'm in the good people category. And if you're not sure of that, compare me to the tax collector. Well, he, by human standards, he's right. He is better on paper than the tax collector in that culture at that time. So people say that they're good people. I'm like, they're right. They are good people by the standards of Western suburbia. That they're That's good right. people. But God does not judge by the standards of 2021 American suburban life. He judges by himself. So we may, So what did the tax collector do? The tax collector, rather than going, no, here's how I'm a good person too, or point out all the Pharisees' flaws, or going, who are you to judge? Or it's not like you're perfect either. So he, instead, he's basically said, yeah, everything the Pharisees said about me is exactly right. So you know what I need? I need mercy. And he yeah. appealed to God for mercy. And guess what? He got it. Jesus said, that's the one who went away justified, not the other. What that shows us is that we need to do what's called change the comparison game. That's what I call it. Rather than comparing our goodness to others and feeling good about ourselves, we compare ourselves to God and feel great about Jesus. That's yeah. the answer. Because when we compare ourselves to God, we fall short every single time. That shouldn't leave us in doom and gloom. It should leave us with great hope realizing that Jesus has never messed up. He is the standard and he acts and dies on our behalf. Yeah, really good stuff. And uh, it takes away all the stuff that I grew up believing that if I messed up, had to make it right. Had nothing to do with Jesus. It was, didn't I or didn't he? That's what all this is about. He did it, not me. So I know that I'm good, even though I'm going to mess up, but I want to grow in him. I want to be closer to him. And that's where I think people get uh, the whole mentality of, I don't want to be a Christian because they all think they're better than me because, you know, we, we strive to be more like Jesus. It doesn't mean we're perfect. If you think you're perfect or if you think that you're good, you might have a problem. <laughs> yeah, and our, our striving to be more like Jesus is out of worship of Jesus. That's right. Not out yes. of us thinking it's going to get us extra credit points or going to make us more heavenly. It's because we're convinced of who Jesus is. So in terms of not being hypocrites, we're not telling the world to be more like us. We're pointing them to Christ. Yeah. Because that's what he's going to be our savior. He did what we could never do. Yeah. Really goes back to the Garden of Eden. Sure. And and I I like what you said earlier that um, the whole Bible is all about Jesus. And then Jesus stepped into into the picture and stepped into our world and changed everything for us. There it is. If your answer... This is cultural Christianity in a nutshell right here. If your answer to why you are a Christian is something other than the work of Jesus on your behalf, you might not be one. Yeah. That's why it matters so much. And it's all around us. Like you said at the Reds game, we can stand up and sing the God bless America. We're a, a nation under God. Too many of us believe that that's part of what saves us is we belong to uh, a nation under God. Yeah, and it's nation under God in words and song only, right? You touched on something that is, I have a lot of friends who are Catholic. Yeah. Touched on that in a chapter two, and and let's face it, if I was Catholic and I was reading that, I would feel like you're stepping on my toes, but let's talk a little bit about that, because that's also kind of an indication of where are you putting your trust and your faith? And I've always struggled with that because I have friends that I grew up with who were Catholic and I knew that it was different what I believed versus what they believed. Talk a little bit about that chapter uh, where you make that distinction. 
Yeah, well, cultural Catholicism can be one of the biggest hindrances to getting the gospel to someone uh, because their hope and their security is based on their identification as Catholic rather than it actually is on the work of Christ. I mean, you'll talk to many Catholic people who have never really actually read the Bible before. You know, it's commonplace uh, where the Bible's not even preached. It's read as part of the liturgy of the Mass, right? And uh, as a result of that, there's people who are more convinced they're Catholic than they are of Christ. Uh, so I tell a story about my grandfather. Uh, I come from a Catholic family. That's why I feel like I can speak to this with, with some um, clout. I'm not just like up on the ivory tower here. Uh, so my grandfather, we're talking one day, he died about 10 years ago, World War II vet, just an awesome guy, just a great, just an amazing grandfather. Uh, but he didn't know the Lord, sadly. But he had been to Mass and prayed the rosary and done the whole deal his entire life. And we're sitting there talking. And he went, I'm already a pastor by now, all these things. And he said, Dean, let me ask you a question. I said, yeah, what's going on? We we're actually watching football together. And he said, why aren't you Catholic? And I was like, oh, boy, here we go. And I said, well, and I kind of gave him this, an answer about just what I believe about how we're justified before the Lord and where I believe actual ultimate authority comes from in the scriptures. And just kind of walked him through. It's almost like basic Reformation principles, you know, more, more, more than anything. Yeah. Nothing major. Just wanted to kind of talk him through it. And he goes, well, I just don't understand. I mean, your dad's Catholic. And I was like, no, he's not. He goes, what do you mean? Yes, he is. I was like, he's in the next room. You could go. He, he's a deacon at our church. I hope he's not Catholic. <laughs> he's not. Well, yes, he is. I was like, pops, no, he's not. He goes, okay, well, your, your uncle's Catholic. My uncle Tim, who's his oldest son. I was like, no, he's not. He's an atheist. And my uncle Tim's like a like committed atheist. He reads like Dawkins and Hitchens books and has a Darwin fish on his car. He goes, no, he's not. He's yeah. Catholic. I was like, call him right now. He'll tell you he's not Catholic. He goes, well, fine. your uncle Ted's Catholic because his youngest son. I was like, he's nothing. He doesn't believe anything. He doesn't identify as any religion whatsoever. He's not a hardcore battle like my other uncle is, but he's just nothing. And he goes, oh, well, I just don't understand. And I learned something that day. For my grandfather, being Catholic was more important than believing Catholic. Yeah. And that's just not my grandfather. That's not all Catholics. I want to be fair. That's a lot right. of Catholics. Uh, I, I mean, right. yeah, that's why some people get outraged if their kid doesn't go to a Catholic church when they're older. It's, it's like, right. why, why do you care? Why, why does it matter if they're in a church that believes the, because that's not the most important thing. It's not that they believe in God. They believe the Bible. They believe the gospel. The most important thing to them is that they are Catholic. It's just really troubling. And that shows a bigger yeah. issue. And that is, where does our hope actually lie? Your heritage cannot save you. Mass cannot save you. God, confirmation cannot save you. First communion cannot save you. Only the work of Christ can save you. Yeah. Great insight. I'll tell you what, we're running out of time, but I, I want to highly recommend Dean's book, Unsaved Christian. Um, this one we haven't talked about yet, but uh, without a doubt, how to know for certain that you're good with God. That's an important read too. I'm looking forward to getting into this one. And uh, tell us about the book you have coming up, which I think is, uh, I've just, I think it's great, a great succession there. Oh yeah, awesome. I appreciate you bringing it up. It's called uh, Getting Over Yourself and it's on trading me-centered faith for Christ-centered Christianity. And a lot of the messaging out there in popular Christian world today, especially on Instagram and on YouTube, it's almost that God exists for the purpose of us being able to fulfill our dreams and just basically to make us happy. And a lot of Christian messaging out there is that God's sort of this like happiness genius. And that's what he wants for us more than anything else is for us just to find happiness. And, and I think that that approach, that understanding of who God is, 
really hurts us from really experiencing the true God of the scriptures. That's for so much more uh, than just our personal happiness. And, and we got to talk about this. I'm seeing it really ruin a lot of people uh, where almost materialism is being rewarded as almost like a faith act. Uh, I'm seeing more midlife crises happen earlier as quarter life crises because people believe that, you know, that there's just more out there and it's making there's more out there for them and that, the mundane and the basic things of life, like basic responsibilities are, are not good and they're boring and they're not of God. And we got to talk about what it really looks like for us to believe the God of the Bible and not the God of American kind of consumer Instagram, what I call pop Christian culture. Yeah. Amen. Dean, we got to go. I would love to have you back. Talk more about your book that comes out in May. Yeah. And I'd love right? to anytime. Yeah. And I, I actually, you can go to amazon.com and look it up and read a little bit more about it and even I think pre-order it. So um, let's have you back sometime. We had a, a, a heck of a time with technology. Man, did we ever. Uh, <laughs> from, yeah. So we're, we're going to get this out there and uh, we'll, we'll try this again um, sometime after your book comes out. And I'd love to talk to you then. Awesome. Again. Would you do us a favor and uh, close this out in prayer? I would love to. Yes. Awesome. Father, we are grateful for the grace of God, uh, for your grace in our lives, how you do not punish us as our sins deserve, that Jesus stood in our place, and how that makes us a new creation, makes us a part of your family. We get all the blessings of what it means to be able to call you Father. And we thank you for that truth. So for anyone listening today uh, that maybe has defined their Christianity by their morals or their church attendance or their heritage or generic belief, I ask that you go open their eyes to see that our faith is about Jesus, that Jesus is the one who saves, that he's the way, the truth, the life, and that we will be people who don't functionally act like Jesus died for nothing, but depend on him for everything we have, and everything we are. Thank you for Mike and his podcast. I ask you bless it to bring hopes to many people, and that as a result of that, we will be strengthened in our understanding of who you are, your love for us, and the work of Christ on our behalf. Thank you for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dean. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, in Dean's book, uh, there's so much to just to ponder and uh, so much to dig into there. But uh, very eye-opening. want to thank Dean for joining us again and um, just for helping me to understand that following Christ is so much more than just the things that you do. It's a relationship. And so I would encourage you, pick up that Bible and dig in, find out what God has for your life. Um, It's living and breathing, and he will speak to you through it. So I challenge you to do that if you're not already. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to invite your friends to subscribe to the podcast and listen along. And remember, if your life is grounded in Jesus, even in the darkest times, there is hope.